For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Thinking of starting a podcast? We'll try Anchor. It's free, easy to use, and its creation tools allow you to record and edit directly from your phone or computer. It'll even take care of distribution for you with a single tap so you can be heard on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Also, Anchor is the only place you can publish video podcasts directly to Spotify. Man, you can even make money using Anchor in a couple of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. It's truly everything you need in one place to make a podcast. So make sure to go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac. Joining me today is friend of the show, Mr. Justin Rowan himself for the Chase Down Pod. <laughs> How you doing, Justin? Mac, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me back. I, I really appreciate it. Not the best time in the calf schedule, but I, I, I said on the Chase Down uh, today, Carter and I did our, our first one back now that I, I'm back from vacation. I said, I think this is the best five game losing streak in the history of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Do you agree? Because I, I feel really encouraged, <laughs> even though they did not manage to pull off a, a win against any of these uh, top three teams in the league. You know, I haven't heard anybody quite put it that way, but I do wholeheartedly agree with you. And that is because that the effort level has been there in every single one of these games. They could have easily have walked away with at least two or three wins over this last four game stretch. If it didn't mm-hmm. come down to some questionable, you know, play call, not play calls, uh, questionable foul calls, rather, yeah. uh, untimely turnovers and uh, DG getting elbowed, man, that was a that was a big uh, difference maker, in my opinion, that that kind of slowed momentum down. And uh, yeah, for the well, I, I mean, you you look at that stretch. As soon as Garland went to the bench, it was basically a fourteen point swing. Uh, from there, uh, he just wasn't the same after he came back in. Uh, I, I feel like even if they had Jetty Osman in that game, just to to bring kind of that steady scoring punch off the bench, they they may have had a shot to pull that one out against Brooklyn. Then, as you mentioned, against Phoenix, just. One of the worst officiating performances I've ever seen in my time, like being a fan of the team. Like I, I, I tend not to dwell on what's going on with the referees, but you look at the two phantom Carl calls against Garland, uh, waving off the, uh, the, and one three from Garland, waving off the jetty three with that intentional foul from uh, JaVale McGee, Jay Crowder, uh, his acting, turning a jump ball into two free throws for Phoenix. Like Ridiculous. the list goes on and on. Um, you, you saw like touch fouls on one end being called. And then JaVale McGee kneeing Ricky Rubio in the chest. Isn't a, a foul uh Cavs guards getting shoved to the ground at the rim it it, it was We're at an home. absolutely infuriating performance I can't agree more with you man I don't know I tend I, I try not to you know call out the refs in some of these games but that was we're at home 
What I mean, man, that's what in the world? I don't know. You would it's think... been a bad week. It's it's been a bad week uh, for Cavs calls. That, that's for sure. But uh, at least the schedule and this is the messed up thing. The schedule is late. Uh, getting a little lighter, a little easier here, yeah. even though they have to play Miami, Utah, uh, Milwaukee, Chicago. That is still considered a lighter stretch for the Cavs, given how this season has started off. It's been brutal. I think, yeah, four out of the five next games come against teams with winning records. Right? And I think the only one is the cat is the Cavs next game against Orlando. I think Orlando yeah. is four and 15 right now. That is and the I'm, second time this season they will play a team with a record below 500. That's ridiculous. I mean, clearly the the schedule makers wanted the Cavs to finish in the lottery again. I mean, that. I mean, I don't they, know. They just they just wanted it to be easy when the Cavs kind of catch their stride. When when everything starts clicking, we're going to have a lot of fun down the stretch. We're we're going to be having good vibes heading into the playoffs or or play in. I I still feel very confident about that. Uh, obviously, reporting today that uh, Evan Mobley could be returning soon, uh, maybe as soon as the game against the Magic. Uh, but I, personally, I feel like it, as long as you have him back for that game against Dallas, uh, I, I feel like there's two winnable games heading into kind of the the last really brutal stretch for for the Cavs uh, when it comes to the schedule. I completely agree. I mean, what are you most looking forward to in Mobley's return? Is it the defensive impact? Is it the uh, the, the playmaking that he provides? Because that's all that's not showing up in the stat sheet, the guy moves the ball. And I think he's really an integral part into the Cavs offense kind of flowing, especially with Sexton being out. Yeah, I, I do think the offensive boost is going to be probably, I don't know if I should say the most significant because obviously his biggest impact does come on the defensive end. But I do think that him have, being that outlet, uh, that kind of creator out of the short role in the high post, that's something that the offense has been missing, especially when you look at these stretches against Golden State, Brooklyn, Phoenix, where the offense just kind of stalls out. Uh, he's kind of that release valve uh, when teams are bringing a lot of pressure, which they have been lately. Especially on Darius Garland, I, I felt like teams were putting more length on him uh, it, when Jared Allen was out in particular so that there wasn't really anyone to set a screen for him. Uh, you would see Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, all, all these long, big defenders uh, coming out at him, trapping and having Mobley as kind of that outlet to just kind of toss it to him in the high post and knowing that he's always going to make the right play in those situations. I, I think that that's going to be a real benefit for the Cavs offense. Obviously, the defense is going to be improved with Mobley back. That's going to be great. Uh, but you look at that stretch before he went out. He was averaging nearly 20 points per game. He, he's someone that they could go to when they needed a bucket or, or someone that can generate offense, if not for himself, others. And, and that's going to be a really big benefit coming against, once again, another challenging stretch for this team. You got to have him out there, especially with uh, DG, man. The, the defenses have been keying in on him. I think uh, you are seeing this guy doing everything that he can, and he looks a little bit gassed at points towards the end of the game. Mm -hmm. uh, no lie. And I think that just that just comes along with having the added pressure and the, the added utilization that, uh, you know, they're putting the ball. Him and Ricky, man, they've really – really had the ball and i mean you were already gonna showcase what uh, the talents of ricky rubio off the bench but now the guy is just uh having to jack up all these shots and you're, you're seeing the same thing conversely with dg and i want to ask you this are you are you concerned with the the slump that he's kind of in right now i know a lot of that kind of it's lumped in with the fact that you know somebody has to take these shots um mm -hmm. i think he's he's 21 to 74 
since in that games that Sexton hasn't appeared in uh, since the injury. Are you concerned with that shooting slump from three? I, I mean, 21 and seven uh, being his new slump is, is something that's certainly encouraging. I, I'm not too worried about it. I, I mean, some of that has been uh, deflated by that one of 11 stretch uh, against Brooklyn after he got elbowed in the face. And as I mentioned in those previous games um, where you didn't have Jared Allen, where you're basically down four starters, you really need that guy now with the way that defenses are allowed to play that screen setter that, that can help free you up because under the old rules, last season and the last few years, you would see teams completely abandon the screen and the pick and roll. You you would see teams go basically five out, right? And, and say, well, the defender isn't allowed to really do anything to my offensive player, right? Like he, uh, James Harden can just get by his one man because he's afraid to touch him because if he touches him, it's a foul. And if help defense comes, that's an easy drive and kick three. Now, when de- defenders are actually allowed to be more physical, where you actually see some hand checking even being allowed, uh, or at the very least body guys up, that's very difficult for anybody, any offensive player to generate consistent offense all game. And I, I think you saw against Boston, against Brooklyn, where they would put longer Ranger defenders, even someone like Bembry on him without the Jared Allen, without Kevin Love, even in, in some of those games to free him up. That's going to make things more difficult. But in general, no, I, I'm not concerned about the three point shooting, three point shooting. I mean, it comes and goes. So that's why people always say you need at least 700 attempts to kind of weed out the noise. I'm just encouraged that he's taking 9.3 threes a game with Sexton out. That That is something that we've been saying for a while that we just want to see those attempts get up there and they're going to fall. I, I mean, he started the season not hitting them. Then he started hitting them. Now they're <laughs> they're not dropping with the, the same frequency. That's kind of the, the ebb and flow of shooters. But I, I'm yeah. just encouraged that he's continuing to take them, even though they're not all going down. That's a great sign. That wasn't always there with Garland. And as long as the the process is sound, I'm fine with that. Like work through your stuff, get those shots up. And he's still finding ways to be productive in that stretch. So to me, it's more of an encouraging sign versus a discouraging one, because I I don't think that he's someone that has forgotten how to shoot a basketball. It's not like it's that low. It's just low based on the standard that he's kind of set for himself in the league. That's fair enough. And I think uh, anytime that you are one of the, really the only primary option out there you're gonna be forced into having these types of slumps Mm -hmm. Uh, for him he's getting it done in other ways um i i would heavily like to see the ball kind of be spread around a little bit more in terms of ricky rubio though i know yeah uh the shots for him just like darius somebody has to take them and that's kind of a great segue into my next question for you. And that is Isaac Okoro, you know, as, mm-hmm. as the team's starting to, have you seen enough from him to justify uh, Jetty? Cause Jetty's really, really been having a good season thus far. I mean, is there is, I guess the better question would be, is there a case to be made that Jetty should be starting over Okoro at this point? I think there's a case to be made. Absolutely. Um, You look at how well he's been playing and he has been one of the more reliable players that the Cavs have had. Now, 
he's still probably the the worst defender that they have uh, out of guys getting Absolutely. consistent <laughs> minutes. Uh, and, and I think that that's worth noting. But with Evan Mobley returning in the near future, may, maybe there's a case to be made that you could justify making that change. But I, I think the important thing to remember, too, is the goal is to play 48 minutes of good basketball. And, and Jetty Osmond has played really well and had good synergy with Ricky Rubio. That second unit has been really, really good. And, and even Kevin Love as well. Those three have really made an impact coming in off the bench. They've been a steadying presence. And you look at the minutes played for Jetty Osmond. He's up 29, 31 minutes in most of his recent appearances uh, outside of the game where he started to have those back spasms. Um, like he's been playing starters minutes. So I'm fine with staggering. I actually like the fact that JB Bickerstaff tries to maintain the roles that everyone's supposed to be in uh, outside of the, the few games where all four, like four starters were out and Ricky Rubio did have to start. He's kept Rubio in his role. He's kept Jetty in his role, starting Dean Wade, who's kind of that low usage kind of uh, nice glue guy for a lot of lineups. So, with Evan Mobley coming back, with Laurie Markkinen back, I actually think having Okoro kind of be that defensive presence, l- reducing his usage because Mobley and Laurie are going to be taking on a lot more of the offense. Uh, obviously, Darius is, is going to be stepping up as well. I'm 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 fine with that. I'm I'm fine with letting him work through that because I I do think once you have basically your full healthier roster outside of Colin Sexton, I think that the the usage is going to be split enough where he's not going to struggle as much. He, even these last two games uh, without Mobley, but with the rest of the team back. Okoro hasn't been as noticeable because he hasn't been asked to do too much. So going back to what we said earlier about Mobley kind of being that addition for the offense, I do think he's going to take some usage away from Rubio. He's not going to have to take as many shots. He's going to take some away from Isaac and and it's just going to be a more healthy balance for the team. I think that's the most important thing too. I think uh, in addition, if you want to highlight marketing, especially I think really, really helps uh, Mm -hmm. kind of mask Okoro's offensive deficiencies right now when they share the court. Just because yeah. Okoro can focus primarily on defending, you know, the best perimeter player out there that they have yeah. to offer. And just making the right play, right? Like he, he's yeah. still taking threes the last couple of games. He's made some that that's been an encouraging sign, but Definitely. playing a little more within himself. Because I like honestly looking at him since he came back, does he look right physically to you? Because he, he still seems like he, he's no, not he moving. seems like he's a little bit off. Yeah, he, he's not moving as freely. And maybe that's just, hey, trying to get some confidence back. You're, you're working through the, 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 the hamstring, hamstring injury that's a, that's and rehab, right? Like, yeah. that's one of those things where it, there's some lingering effects. You have to get your confidence your back. Your lateral right? like, movement. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was a factor, but it's encouraging that, okay, he came back, really struggled, not the best time for him to come back from a hamstring injury where there's basically no one else around him and he's asked to do a ton. But now that the other pieces are there, it's it's looking a little better. Like, I, I don't expect him to be a worse offensive player than he was last season. I, I, I think that's a reasonable expectation. And uh, ultimately, this season is still about development, right? Like, you're still trying to get the most out of this core. So mm-hmm. giving Okoro the opportunity to work through his struggles it isn't the worst plan of attack here, especially when you know that Sexton, you know, is he's he's out. You know, there's he's not coming right. back. So you have you have the opportunity there to see what you can do. Uh, yeah, if Sexton was here, he'd be very clearly the starter. Like he, uh, that, that's the the one really disappointing thing for me. Uh, obviously, while I was away, like that news broke. Like 
the proof of concept was kind of there. Like Garland, Sexton, Mobley, and Allen, mm-hmm. those four work really well together. Those, those better than we, real, we all expected. Right. They, they had a hundred defensive rating. That is fantastic. Like that worked really, really well together. And that was before sex and three point shooting came around. Like I, I, I fully expected that to work and, and it sucks that we're not getting a full year of it, but knowing that Sexton's coming back next year, you've got an opportunity here for a coral to take some lumps to work through this stuff. You want this team to get better collectively, right? So indeed, take advantage of this opportunity. Let's focus on developing Okoro. He shouldn't be asked to do too much in that lineup. So let's, you know, give it some time. I mean, ultimately, the guy's three months older than Evan Mobley. He's still crazy, (laughs) crazy damn young. And and he was someone that was always going to take some time. That draft class outside of Tyrese Halliburton, who's a year older and once again, a guard. Everyone would have been upset if they took another guard. Uh, (laughs) But outside of that, all these guys are taking time. Denny of Dia is not shooting well. He's not finishing well. Like it's a very, very raw draft class. And I think he's shown enough, at least on the defensive end, to think, hey, this can be a, a low usage glue guy. Basically, what we're expecting Dean Wade to do right now, he can be that with the starting lineup with everyone else back. So I'm I'm fine with him starting for now. Okay, and then you you brought him up, so I got to talk about him. Dean Wade, uh, with these oh. pieces returning, with Mobley and uh, Lowry already back, what is the you know what's the role for 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 Dean? Is he going to transition back to the you know whenever they need him type of role? I mean, because right now I think the I think against Phoenix he had about fifteen minutes, so they're mm-hmm. not giving him a full complement of starters minutes every night that he's out right. there. But is there would you be okay? keeping him out there and kind of transitioning Lowry. Is there a case to be made for that to the bench? Still playing him every minute. I, I, I wouldn't move Lowry to the bench, um, especially with Kevin Love still playing really well for the Cavs <laughs> and, and giving yeah. a benefit. Like that's one of the functional reasons why having uh, Laurie Markin and start at the three is necessary because you have four big men that, that play really well together. Um, I, I would still say that Dean has earned enough to maybe be like the ninth or 10th man in this rotation. Like I, I basically think he's taken away all the minutes that you might give to a Lamar Stevens or a Denzel Valentine um, or even Dylan Windler at this point. Cause yeah, Windler we'll hasn't talk about him in a minute. <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause Windler hasn't like come out and, and seized the opportunity here by any stretch of the imagination. So uh, I, I think having Dean Wade kind of be that guy and, you know, maybe some nights Jetty doesn't have it. So you, you give Dean a little more of a look or, or Laurie doesn't have it. Right. I do think having some internal competition and having that guy that, hey, we need a spark. We need a few good minutes here. I, I think that there's a real benefit of that. So the, the fact that the Cavs turned an undrafted player in Dean Wade in, into someone that we feel good about, that, that's reliable. I think that's a really, really encouraging sign. Yeah, I really think that was a kind of a hidden gem that they were able to unearth. Uh, for him, you know, from a statistical standpoint, it ain't great. 4.8 points, 3.3 uh, rebounds, <laughs> 40.3% from field goal range and under 30% from three. We know kind of what we're going to get out of Dean Wade at this point. At least that's right. my, uh, you know, my indication on it. I think he's out there providing underrated defense. I mean, Nobody is going to shut down KD, but he did a damn good job out there. He, his presence was felt, you know, to, to the best of his ability. I think uh, he's another one of those energy guys. He can provide a spark uh, when necessary in that regard. But I don't know. I just for him, I do kind of feel a little bit bad just because he's he seems to always be ready. 
He's always yeah. ready when you ask him. And that, that's an ability right there in itself. Yeah. And, and I mean, you want to reward that, but at the same time, like you still do have to play the, the most the, talented. The best, yeah. You have to you play. Have. You have to put the best guys out there. And like, Laurie is a, a much better offensive player. Like he's not maybe as dynamic defensively, but I, I think he's actually been pretty good defensively. He's got like gravity he's, too. He's got active hands. He's big. Uh, he moves really well off ball. Um, he, he moves kind of uh, north south really well. I, I don't think his lateral quickness is great, but he's huge. So that's the okay. It, it makes up for that. Yeah. It, it really does. And, and Kevin Love brings. Uh, really steady rebounding. Like uh, it, that's that's one of the things that the, the Cavs had these stretches where they were just giving up second chance opportunities, and those basically go out the window when Kevin Love is there. Obviously, the spacing, the passing, the experience, the leadership. Like that was a, a really nice thing in, in the Phoenix game where JB kind of like took a step back and he's like, "All right, Kev, like you're basically the coach in this huddle." Uh, and Love was there, kind of like getting the the troops together, rallying the guys, like. Uh, um, I thought he should have gotten more run in that second half, though. I thought he played a very I did good too. first I, half. I, I, w- I was surprised uh, that he didn't get more opportunities in the second half, especially because Phoenix really upped their effort, like their first half effort defensively. Like I, I know we'll talk about the officiating and we view everything through a Cavs lens, but Phoenix really upped their defensive effort in the second half and, and those easy opportunities weren't there. So having someone that can handle that pressure and whatnot in Kevin Love, I, I thought – I would have liked to see him get a few more looks in the second half. Um, mm. But of course, that hindsight's 50-50, right? You, you try to go with what works. And honestly, I, I think they had enough firepower out there to beat Phoenix if some calls went the right way. Um, but you know what? You, you can't always get that. So uh, when it comes to Dean Wade, I, I, th- I think it's a benefit to know that he's always going to be ready. Who knows? Maybe there's a move that happens at the deadline or at some point this season that creates an opportunity for him. Maybe there's a balancing of the roster where a big gets moved for a wing and, and Dean Wade gets to be that guy off the bench. I, th- I definitely think that it's a luxury to know that you do have someone like Dean Wade that is capable of playing both those four positions and even though he's not going to put up big numbers he's a connecting piece he's someone that makes a lot of lineups work i completely agree i I gotta ask you this if dylan winler can't get minutes now will he ever get minutes i mean coming into a season you know prior Mm -hmm. to this year the guy was pretty much made of glass let's not mince words here so uh, he was pretty much made of glass. And it was thought this is the perfect opportunity for him. Sexton goes down. You have a rash of injuries. You have guys out due to the COVID protocols. If now was a time for Dylan Wendler to get run on the court, it would be the best best opportunity for him. Why has he not seized that opportunity? Is it because they're not putting him in, in, in good places? Is it because is it a confidence issue? I mean, I'm flabbergasted. I have, I have no idea. Like, uh, it, it's something that I, I, I'd like to hear from J.B. Bickerstaff on on what's going on there with Dylan Windler because, I, I mean, I have noticed the last couple times he's out there, he's not pulling from three the same way he was in, in those early games. Um we, we don't know what's happening in practice, right? Like we, we don't know, hey, is he making the right rotations in practice or, or doing the things that they're asking of him? Like that that's one thing that seems to be clear is that the Cavs are very process orientated 
And like even Isaac Okoro, we talked about him. He, he's not hitting his shots. He, he's not being a tremendously effective offensive player. But J.B. Bickerstaff said he's earned that starting spot because he's done what we've asked of him. So we don't what know does what that even mean. <laughs> right, right. So like for me, if I had to make assumptions, it's OK. Take open threes when they're there. Uh, defend the best perimeter player that's out there. Right. Make the right pass to do the little things. He's improved his rebounding from last season like that. That was a real weakness that he didn't bring any of that to the table and he's getting in there and being active so um i I think that that's a a great question what does that mean and i would love to know what that means for dylan windler because we don't know maybe his knees acting up and they're just trying to manage the situation maybe he's not doing the right things in practice maybe they like the defensive effort that denzel valentine is giving because i i mean he still takes those yolo shots uh that, that drive me absolutely crazy the man is, <sighs> it's not it's it doesn't look pretty ooh, i'll say the, that the man the man has confidence you, you gotta give him credit he's got for that. that Dion waiters confidence but but the man is going out there and he's playing some really good defense like i i thought he did a very good job on kd and one game like it's it's hard to say exactly what the expectations are and maybe some of that's a learning opportunity for dylan where it's hey you've lost your spot right now because you're not giving the same effort that denzel's giving you're going to get another look at another opportunity and we have made it clear what the expectations are at this point i'm just speculating but like i i would imagine that it's something like that there, there's so much that happens outside of the 48 minutes that we see on tv and, and i'd have to think that it, it's something related to that i mean i certainly hope so i i mean i really do pull for him just because this is the first year where i really thought that he had an opportunity provided he was healthy um, we mm-hmm. saw stretches from him last year where we know, and I know you and Carter often have said on your podcast, you know, theoretical Dylan Windler is a scary thing because he Ooh, just solves, so he well. would fits solve so, well. so many issues, um, at least heading into this season. I know the Cavs have been able to really exceed expectations in many regards, but um, theoretical Dylan Windler is, you know, a, a scary thing for, for opposing teams. It just hasn't panned out that way. I, I don't know. You know, all we can do is speculate, as you say. Um, I don't know. I just it's it's really been getting to me because anytime that you can see, you know, some of the guys that are considered to be lower in the pecking order, i.e., you know, you would have thought that Denzel Valentine uh, would be somebody who would probably be a little bit lower in that regard. We've seen everybody else really get. Uh, an opportunity you know taco was out there for a point in time (laughs) ed davis was a positive contributor for you know a pair of games Mm -hmm. i mean i just don't know what that says about windler you know i don't know if it's a work ethic thing i don't know if that's what i said you know i don't know if it's confidence related it could as you say some of it might just be the the depth on the Cavs had on the perimeter relative to like everybody getting wiped out yeah like jetty is playing well dean wade's playing well um denzel's as I said, playing good defense, Isaac's king time, Garland's king time, Rubio's getting time. Whereas Ed Davis and Taco get opportunities because Love, Mobley, Laurie, like everybody was out. So there, there was a there was an opportunity for him. So I, I I hope whenever Dylan does get another look that he takes advantage of it because, as you said, what he can bring in theory would be really helpful. That's something that the Cavs sorely need. And I, I feel like he makes the right team plays out there. So who knows what the situation is? Um, but obviously, we'll continue to keep our fingers crossed. I mean, it's really a, like 
there's no real downside right here. Like he, he was a late first round pick. He might not work out. Those picks rarely do. Uh, I, I mean, Fiondo Cabangeli is a great example. He was the pick after Dylan Windler, and he's bounced around on a few teams. Like, uh, uh, it, it doesn't matter how recent you were picked. Like, there's no real guarantee, right, when, when you're those late-round picks. So uh, keep him around, give him looks, and give him opportunities. You, you hope that he, he can stay healthy and uh, satisfy what whatever JB's looking for there. But uh, that, that's certainly something that I'd, I'd like to hear some of the the beat uh, writers ask about <laughs> because that's uh that, that would be something that uh, i'd be really curious to know about yeah i'm gonna have to gonna have to see if uh chris manning or evan damerel can tim yeah. magic or something somebody needs to ask because uh, i'd love to hear the answer to that too but uh so, so, somebody uh shoot uh chris feed or a uh a text <laughs> or something we, we, we yeah. gotta get on this exactly um as we sit here i see you have your uh your jared allen jersey back there i was oh, lucky yeah, enough to that snag. came in that, that was my warm welcome uh the, the jersey i ordered oh, I, okay. I, I was ready i was ready right at 10 a.m there when when it dropped to, to buy my jared allen jersey so i was uh i was happy to see that that came in i was i mean i was expecting to be able to just you know barge my way into the team shop and get me an Evan <laughs> Mobley jersey but you know those were out like oh yeah just like that um you know I had for completely it had turned 10 o'clock I was watching the clock I literally was watching the clock and forgot what I was doing and so <laughs> around those 10 13 no lies 10 13 and I you know I'm like shit man I'm like so I log in and I I'm lucky enough to snag a, a Darius Garland uh Ooh, jersey there you go but I, I really that. wanted that Mobley uh but the reason I bring that up is because uh, Jared Allen, man, he's been balling this year, you know, to the tune of 15.3 points, but 11.2 rebounds. And I think he's third in the league right now in field goal percentage. Uh, mm-hmm. And we, granted, we know where most of those shots come from, but that's still, that's still a big deal. Um, are you surprised with what you've been seeing from him thus far? Did you expect him to take this big of a leap? I expected him to improve. I, I don't know if I necessarily expected this level of consistency right off the bat this season. Um, but th- that was one thing that always kind of I, I found to be weird in the kind of the contract talks is we're talking about a 23 year old top 10 center in his position. Guys get better, like especially centers like their prime is usually around 27. Is he is he top five right now? I'm not top, not not top five for centers, <laughs> but uh, I'll I'll give him top ten at his position. And I mean, frankly, when you you look at the uh, the max contract, the DeAndre Ayton's probably going to get at some point. I think I'd rather pay Jared what he's been reported to be making. Like just just saying, like I, I don't know if uh, DeAndre Ayton is fifty percent better. Uh, I don't think <laughs> I don't think Ayton wants to hear that. <laughs> No, well, you know what? He probably should have played better against Jared Allen because the the extra teammates that he had on the floor was the only reason he won that game. Um, But yeah, I mean, Jared's playing really good. I I think when you look at what he's added to his game, it's just kind of those improvement in the margins, right? Like it's better recognition of where his teammates are. uh, Really nice passing. Uh, The the footwork on on his offensive game has been improved. Um, He's more under control. I think as he continues to fill out and add some size, He's going to become more and more imposing because you do see him sometimes get a, a little bodied uh, in, in the paint, either going for a rebound or, or when he's making those driving um, driving field goal attempts. 
But I, I mean, he's been really, really good and a really reliable piece. And, and you look at it and you feel like the Cavs already have like their long-term answers at at least three positions. Like Garland, Mobley, and Allen seem to be those guys. And that's not even factoring in Colin Sexton, who historically like has played better with Garland. Those two have really great chemistry together. Sexton was playing at a near all-star caliber. We saw that he had already adjusted his game to you know, like capitalize on those off-ball opportunities. And yeah. I, I just I hate that he's not here because I, I think that this would have been a really great season for him uh, to prove that he fits in. But Nobody won. What? Nobody won in that regard. Um, no, you know, no, 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 no. Like it, it, it sucks. But I, I still expect him to be a big part of the Cavs' future. And um, the exciting thing about this season is, I think the Cavs still have enough in the tank here to make a plan or, or playoff push. And we know that they're going to be adding a big free agent this summer. They are going to be adding Colin Sexton, who is playing at all their level. Like, uh, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that because I was getting ready to ask you what I mean. In this, you you think this is a trade destination now or a free agent oh, no, destination? No, no, no. I, I, don't, I don't. I don't know about all that stuff. I, I'm I'm not in the sources game here. That's 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 not what I'm about. I'm about on court and, and talking about all all that good stuff. But I, I mean realistically speaking, you look at a lot of the reporting and there, there wasn't a whole lot of teams are, are like dying to give Sexton a max contract or not a lot like of cap that, right? space. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's not a lot of opportunities out there. And I just can't think that any team would be throwing like some sort of outlandish offer that the Cavs wouldn't be willing to match with him coming off a meniscus injury. I, I would, I would hope that, um, the, that the mutual interest that was reported to be there between the Cavs and Sexton is still there. And, and I would expect him back next season. So um, given how just how effortlessly he can score, what he brings to the table, the, the way that he's worked on his game, the fact that the, the method he took to repair the meniscus is the one that comes with the fewest long-term concerns. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see both parties back together next season. Um, and for Sexton to be a big part of the team. Like I, I, I really do think like you can make up in the aggregate, a, a lot of what he brings as a scorer, but at other times, like when the defense is really bogged down and you need someone to hit a tough shot, uh, he's one of the best options out there. So uh, I'm looking forward to having him come back. And that's that's an exciting thing, thing to think about is that you're getting this big addition in the offseason in all likelihood. I completely agree. I mean, like I said, nobody wins just because, you know, this is really the first season that Sexton really was going to be out there and have the opportunity to roll with talent. Um, yeah. Not have to always be the guy. And I think that was very, very key to his development moving forward. Um, the stats don't really tell the whole story. You know, we all know yeah, that watching these games. I, I think people got too bogged down on the box score stats because you look at it and his usage rate when he was on the court, it was still 26%, which was what it was the previous season or not the previous season, but two years ago, you know, 1920. It, it's still at his career average. He, it's not like he was being ignored when he was out there on the court. He just happened to not be hitting his three point shots. And I also think that there was a bit of an adjustment too with defenses being allowed to be more physical in the paint. Like yeah. it's not like he has the most advanced handle in the world. So like when teams are being physical, you saw him kind of running into those defenders a few times 
times losing the ball, getting some turnovers. Um, I think the same thing has happened to Okoro, where uh, a lot of his success at the two-guard position last year came from him having freedom of movement in the paint. Obviously, it's not as bad with Sexton. His field goal percentage was still really good. Uh, It was just a matter of him not hitting threes. And the games that he was hitting his shots, he got the same minutes that he was accustomed to. So I, I think it was just more about the depth. I think people read way too much into the box score because uh, it was evident to me that he had improved as a player. He was playing much better defensively. His off-ball game was super improved. I mean, he tried to get his teammates involved more than ever. Yeah, a- absolutely. And, and again, like people look, oh, the assist numbers were down. Well, no, well, like Garland and Rubio were picking up a lot of those assist opportunities. So there wasn't that backup point guard position for him that he was basically playing last year it's once again like the numbers don't tell the whole story and he was a much improved player so i I don't have a lot of concerns when it comes to colin sexton you you know his work i think you know what he's going to bring to the table uh i'm I'm excited to see uh what the future holds for him but uh you know this is a unique opportunity right like um you look at some of the dynasties around the league it's come from bad luck in those early years, like Garland going through some injuries and, and taking some time, Sexton missing this year. Uh, like there's been a lot of teams where you had a very young, promising team. One of those young, promising players misses a season and it creates opportunities, wh- whether it's through player development, Isaac Okoro getting more reps, or um, maybe this means that they're only a nine or 10 seed where uh, if they win a round but lose the second, they still have a lottery pick, right? Like that's that's something that's still on the table here. So uh, th- there's a lot of ways for this to go. But when it comes to Colin Sexton, like, until he's not on the team, I'm still going to assume that he's going to be a big part of their future. And he's on uh, the letter from Kobe Altman. Like they're, they're still committed to this guy. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised uh, to, to see that. And I, I fully expect him to be part of the team moving forward. I sincerely hope so. You know, I, I try to, there's a couple of different ways that I'd be the Cavs right now. As much as I try to tell myself that, hey, this is a, this is a year in which they have such a good opportunity, especially before the injuries, uh, to, to make some noise in the East. I still mm-hmm. have to remind myself at points that this is, like you said, a year that should be uh, fruitful in regards to evaluation. Um, yeah. This is not one of those years in which you push all of your chips in to, to, to make the big move or something like that. You just, to me... The Cavs are not there yet. Um, no, I constantly which is have why to I'm not here myself. for like a, a panic trade for a Buddy Heald or something like giving up first round picks for a guy that's turning thirty this season. Do you, are you confident that Buddy is going to be a better option than Sexton in the next three no, years? I, I'm no. not. Like th- this core is still so young. You look at OKC as an example. Like they drafted three Hall of Famers, and it still took them a few years before those guys were had the the mental and physical maturity to actually go out and contend. And then you look for that supplemental talent. Cavs aren't at that point. Mobley's a rookie. Garland's twenty one. Okoro's twenty. Jared Allen's twenty three. Like I, I'm, I'm fine giving up major assets to bring in another piece if it's something that meshes with that core that can be here for the future. Uh, particularly at the small forward position. If you can bring someone like that in, sure. But giving up major assets for a guard who might be buried behind Sexton and Okoro in the future uh, or or might not be the same effective player in three years when this team probably is more ready to actually go out and like contend and test what their ceiling is. I, I don't have a lot of interest in that. I mean, I, I kind of feel the same way. And that's why I said I, I really have to remind myself this is not that year. 
Um, no. Where we've been conditioned to, to just want to go win now, you know, since we've had such one of these past three seasons have been very, you know, they've just been brutal. Uh, this for, has for been an stretches. organic build. Like the, this has not been rushed. We, we didn't hear coming into the season that there's a playoff mandate or anything like that. Kobe didn't make panic moves in the offseason. He trusted what he put together. Uh, and and I, I expect the Cavs to continue to take that approach. Now, if you can give up a second round pick or two and, and bring in a, a veteran that'll help out with someone like a Terrence Ross or Jeremy Lamb, um, like a, a wing town to kind of help balance out this rotation. Yeah, a- absolutely. I, I, I wouldn't mind having another shot creator in here. Like you do. What about a TJ Warren? Uh, I, I, the, the health is a bit of a concern. Like if, I'm giving up an asset. I kind of want a little bit more reliability. <laughs> I mean, Bubble Warren was great. Don't don't get me wrong. I have nothing against a Bob Bubble Boy, but like, <laughs> mm, eh, I, I'd feel yeah. a little uneasy if, if I'm being perfectly honest. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I just I think in order to acquire true difference making talent, somebody who can step in from day one and and really be impactful, you're gonna have to sacrifice some type of trade chip. And I just yeah. don't think the return right now, it, I don't think it would be worth it. And I honestly, I don't think the Cavs have the ammunition willing to sacrifice to be able to make a move like that, like a, a Brandon Ingram, you know, people speculate on that type of deal all the time. But what would it cost to get a guy like that? I just don't know if it'd be worth it in, in terms of the long term. You're yeah. going through a rebuild for a reason. Um, you know, you, you don't do that to get into a win now mode. Uh, you do yeah, that. To, I mean, if I could give up a ton of picks for Brandon Ingram and like salary matching. Yeah. Like, you, I mean, yeah. I, I do it. I, I don't think that's realistic. Um, most all stars or, or former all stars that are still under 25 years old with four years left on their contract. They, those guys don't become available for a reason. Like I know new Orleans is depressing and awful and nothing's working out there. Um, but I'd be surprised to see him hit the market. But yeah, like if someone like that is available, absolutely. Give, give up whatever assets you have to like, um, go get that done to add to the core. But I, I don't see something like that being available. So, uh, for me, it's more, Hey, if you can make moves in the margins to to better accentuate and, and help out the young guys stay within that right usage for where their talents are at right now, fine. But for the most part, like this is still a developmental year. I'd rather see guys struggle making uh, mistakes, uh, trying to learn what they can and can't do, what they can and can't get away with, get a better idea what they need to work on in the offseason and, and see if the young guys can propel you to the playoffs versus bringing in help that's just going to raise that floor and, and, and you don't learn as much about the team. So uh, for, for me, uh, I, I'm still very much in kind of the, the development mode when it comes to this roster. Yeah, I think you have to take a, a macro approach to it still. You know, every season within itself over these past through uh past few years really can be viewed, you know, as in a vacuum, as in its own little, yeah. you know, part of the rebuild. But you have to still take the overall the the macro approach to, you know, the long term, you know, rebuild and look at what's best for this team. And I think mm-hmm. Kobe Elman for for all the flack that he took this offseason for not being able to acquire like a, a true difference making wing. Uh, shooter, a sharpshooter, rather. You know, he's he's stuck to his guns, and he's he's looked vindicated in in some regard, and at least in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, um, I mean, the ones that were free agents all went for more money than the Cavs could offer. 
and the trade market. It's not like any of those guys moved that, that were available. Um, every single time there's a trade rumor in the NBA, the Cavs usually get connected in some way. Uh, even <laughs> and it'll continue to happen too. Even if you're not the the primary target, the Cavs will find a way to sneak in there and steal a Jared Allen away uh, or, or to, to get a, a first-round pick in the Drew Holiday trade. Or, uh, or I guess they didn't get a first-round pick, but they got that pick unprotected which was helpful in the Jared Allen move. So like they've got in on all these deals. And I, I think that that's a, a good sign. Like that's a, a sign that GMs around the league have a good relationship with Kobe Allman. And when they need a third team, the, the Cavs are one of those teams that teams will call up and see if the things can work out. So I, I think that that's a, a, an encouraging sign. And I expect them to, to be active. I don't think they're going to make a panic move, but uh, th- this seems like a front office that is always looking to find ways to improve, to, to better supplement the talent they have with the core. Uh, agreed. Uh, I guess, you know, my last question for you before we uh, we head out of here is if the Cavs are, you know, come around trade deadline time, if they are in not just playing, but playoff contention, you know, in, in, in regards to their record, can you see a panic type deal shipping Ricky Rubio out of town for somebody uh, that can, you know, score? Uh, uh, you know, on par with the Sexton. I don't necessarily see that. Um, I think that there is obviously going to be interest in Ricky Rubio, but you look at the type of teams that would be looking at Rubio. You're probably looking at contenders, and contenders likely aren't looking to give up a key piece for Ricky Rubio, right? Like it might be, oh, let's sell off a, a first round pick for him, or or something along those lines. Um, so for that reason, I, I don't really see it, especially if the Cavs are kind of in, in a playoff spot. And um, there, there's reporting, and Rubio said it himself, like he was sick of changing teams. He he did not want to come <laughs> to Cleveland. Like it was, you know, like one of those situations where, hey, I've got a young kid. I'm I'm tired of moving around and all that stuff. So for me, that makes me think, okay, maybe there's the possibility of extending him after the season, getting finding a new contract, keeping him around. I'd love to see that. And, and I think if they're winning, I don't see the Cavs selling off. So uh, for that reason, like if they are in playoff position, I, I don't think that you'd see a Rubio trade. That's at least what my gut instinct is on that. Well, fair enough, fair enough. And I think I heard you already say it, but I'll ask it one more time. Have you seen enough from Rubio thus far to justify, you know, wanting to extend him to a long-term oh, contract? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, he, he's probably a low-end starter and ridiculously high-end backup uh, when you look at what he brings to the table. Getting an adult in the room, getting someone to to help Garland along with his development. Like, he's he's first ballot Hall of Fame teammate, like locker room guy. Like, the, the, someone that everybody likes being around. Um, yeah, I, I've seen more than enough uh, to, to justify keeping Ruby around, giving him an extension, whatever that costs. Um, you know, it's, it's the, the Cavs have flexibility. You have so, so many young guys. So there's only so many players that are willing to come to Cleveland that uh, uh, fit well. Like when you have one of those guys in house, uh, my, my preference would be to keep them. Yeah, that's fair. That, that's exactly how I feel right now. I just you don't get many opportunities to acquire a talent uh, at the level of Ricky Rubio, especially in a place like Cleveland. So I don't know. I don't think if if this was a free agent market, I don't know if Ricky would uh, would opt to sign with Cleveland to be you know prior to this season. But I don't know. Look, Maybe man, he's Cle- Cleveland sneaks up on you. 
You, you people <laughs> think, I wouldn't necessarily want to go there, blah, blah, blah. And, and then you got guys like Channing Fry that they end up there and they just love it. They're like it's it's a great city. It's a great place to be. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised with the the way that the vibes are going and whatnot. Uh, if Rubio was open to staying, I, I, it would not surprise me at all. You, that's why, you know, sometimes you just got to trade for a guy, get him in house because, you know, hey, we've got state of the art facilities. We, we've got a great coaching staff. We, we've got a great core group of guys. Uh, we, we're on the cusp of something big, something significant. Um, that's a, a situation that not every team can offer. And it's a, it's a great city. If you like food, if you, you like good people, uh, Cl- Cleveland will win you over. Just, yeah, just Cleveland, an Cleveland is a good city. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's the, really the one thing you have to do when you're in uh, you know, a position like them. You have to win guys over. And, and I think they've done a good uh, done a good uh, job of doing that thus far. I hope it continues. The winning obviously helps. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that'll definitely contribute heavily. A stable role, things of that nature. And Rubio has those things, you know, locked up at this point yep. in time, regardless of uh, you got Colin out there or not. Rubio mm-hmm. would always have a place within the rotation. So uh, with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and close out today's episode. Thanks again, Justin, for coming on on shorts, uh, such short notice. Ain't uh, no problem, man. <laughs> always good to talk Cavs basketball. As I always tell you guys, if you like to reach out to me, you can at it's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. And have a good day.